So um, first one we're going to cover today uh, was some of uh, the research that came out during the week um, talking about, I guess, warning what could happen uh, if the government continues with what the plan is now, which is to get rid of um, JobKeeper and phase it out completely in March of this year. So um, according to the research that released during the week, uh, the federal government's JobKeeper measure could tip uh, 124,000 households into housing affordability stress uh, upon it being phased out. Um, a lot of that modelling, uh, it assessed the impacts of COVID. It, it, it expected the total unemployment in 2021 to peak at 1.752 million under the most severe of the scenarios that they modelled, uh, which I seem sort of interest, interested in getting your take on. Yeah, cool. So I think the, the things coming out there is that with JobKeeper winding down, there's going to be less, you know, disposable income for people. Right. People could struggle if they're if their home owners, um, you know, could struggle to meet mortgage repayments. They may have to actually sell their property. Hmm. If they're renting, um, may struggle to pay rent, which could impact investors. Right. So I think you know the the economy has been on a bit of a sugar hit. Government funded sugar hit since March. Um, you know, so nine, ten months later, I think, you know, the government just can't keep printing money. Yeah. And eventually, um, you know, we've talked before about, let's say, about 20% of businesses think they're going to struggle when JobKeeper finishes. Yeah. Um, there, there could be businesses that don't need JobKeeper anymore, but are still qualifying for it under the, under the parameters. Mm. So I think that's just a bit of a watch for the market at the moment. There was always the thing of the... They talked about the September cliff because JobKeeper was originally uh, in the job seeker uh, increased payment was originally just going to go from March till September, but then it was um, extended. There are a lot of calls for it to be extended again, and also for the job seeker trimming back the trim back of job seeker payment to be um, you know to not take effect. But I think the government, from what we're seeing, is pretty. committed to trimming it back at the end of March. So, yeah, it's really hard to know how it's all going to play out, but yeah. I think at the moment, the thing that we've sort of learned out of the last nine or ten months is you can't predict what's going to happen because yeah. a lot of us thought that um, there would be a bit of a housing correction and yeah. people would have to sell, but people didn't. When you say housing correction, do you mean like a... When people say correction, it almost seems like a softer word of a crash. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, house prices dropping back. So yeah. we had a bit of a boom up to about 2017 yeah. in most markets and then prices dropped a bit. Now prices are, you know, going pretty well and getting back to those sort of levels. So um, it's just hard to know what's going to happen. I just I just think you need to control what you can control. Yeah. And um, if you're looking to buy, buy. Yeah, okay. Another thing coming out during the week... Um, ME Bank, which is, it's not part of the big four, ME Bank, is no, it? No, it's, um, it's basically owned by the super funds, so members yeah, equity okay. bank. Right, okay. So the head of home loans from there, Andrew Bartolo, mm-hmm. uh, shared some top property trends. He, he One thing I'm not as sold on that he spoke about was the, the choice of first home buyers might choose an urban village living as COVID has developed a trend of young professionals, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really get that as much, but one thing he did speak on was... Um, what a lot of people are sort of expecting is that property prices might rise across the markets in 2021. And a lot of it is due to some of the stimulus the government's been 
been um, posting and the the government's been pushing um because even state to state there's been some little stimulus packages being um, announced like victoria does their own little home builder scheme as well as the other federal ones so i think um it sort of echoes the sentiment that a lot of people are saying which is they're expecting it to get stronger and grow slowly but like it'll still grow yeah coming into 2021 yeah i think the thing with the urban village is a lot of first home buyers especially young professionals might have bought an apartment right they might have bought a townhouse and they might have lived in the city because it was close to work you know they're working long hours it was close to you know theater you know entertainment and all that sort of stuff whereas now people can work from home um they've got more options for uh yeah they, they we've talked about the 20 minute village mm. you know that people might want to live in sort of suburban areas that um have all the amenities close you know because if you are locked down and you can only go within five kilometers um you probably you probably don't want to be in an apartment you probably want to be in a place with a bit of space you might need room for a home office and those sorts of things so um at the moment the thing that's sort of um pushing prices up is lack of supply yeah like supply is down not many people are selling there's more people buying so um you know that's the sort of sort of thing that's pushing it a lot of people are suggesting that there'll be good price growth this year we'll just have to wait and see but um you know if you're buying a property to live in um you know your time frame's normally 5 10 20 years so um what's going to happen in the next year or two is really not that important and if you're an investor you've really got to look at where the vacancy rates are and where the where the um the property prices are moving okay and um you know get help to buy in those because as we've talked about before it's it's unlikely to be where you live now yeah okay um core logic released some rental market uh reporting uh just recently talking about sort of the annual change in rents uh across the uh, across the country like state to state um they're reporting that the rents have actually been stronger in Perth and Darwin than most of the rest of the country. Um, rental conditions across Melbourne and Sydney, there's been weak demand and a high supply. So a lot of places, and it's something we've spoken about before, but um, you've spoken about Sydney and Melbourne are big cities for, um, they attract a lot of overseas migrants and a lot of students will, will um, rent or live there, will rent and live there. Um, and because a lot of them had to go home, there's no real overseas immigration happening right now. A lot of the the rental market in those cities has dropped off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of apartments, but not enough people to fill them in. Um, yeah. So the thing, the thing with Perth and Darwin, um, you know, they've been in a bit of a lull for a while. So, you know, rents are sort of picking up because um, they're coming off a low base. One of the things we did sort of during the week is that vacancy rates in some markets around the country are like really low. There was a story on one of the um, news networks the other night about the Surf Coast, mm. which was down um, uh, like Torquay and place around Lawn and right. those places around uh, you know, an hour to an hour and a half out of Melbourne. Mm. The vacancy rate zero. Like wow. every time there's an open home for a rental, there's fifty people it's snatched up. Yeah, yeah because. People, rather than being locked down in Melbourne City, are looking for 
um, a place where they can have a bit of space. Pe- uh, people are flocking to the beaches, um, going to the bush, and that sort of thing. So I think if you're an investor, you really need to be looking at what, what are the sort of trends um, mm. happening. You know, there might be, you know, um, we've got clients who live in Sydney who are getting quite, you know, while they're looking for a property, are getting quite good rental reductions in their properties because they can they can actually get a, a cheaper place elsewhere. So they can use that in leverage when they're negotiating rents. Mm. So I think with investing, a lot of people are suggesting that investors are going to make a comeback this year, and I think they probably will mm. because if you've got money, you can either put it into shares, and the share market's going pretty well, um, put it into, you know, put it in the bank, and you don't get much return on that, or you can you know, buy an investment property, even if you've got to buy money at 3%, it might be yielding 5 or 6%, so it's, yeah, okay. you're making good money, it's probably cash flow positive, mm. and um, you know, you're getting good bang for your buck, so um, yeah, it's, with, with yeah, rentals, you know, Sydney and Melbourne, unit rents are down and as you said that's mainly driven by um, um, oversupply less Airbnb um, less international students and less immigrants yeah okay and just to touch on what you said too cash flow positive if you've got an investment property is when money the double check is with you so a cash flow cash flow positive is when after all the expenses are covered from you owning the investment, you're still making money. Yeah. So you might you might buy a property and it returns three hundred and fifty dollars a week in rent and after you pay, you know, your insurance, mm-hmm. um, you know, rates, the mm-hmm. property manager, mm-hmm. you have an allocation for repairs and you and you're covering the you know, your interest only loan, which is, you know, the best strategy for investment where possible, um, that you yeah, you're making money. Yeah, okay. there's money left over. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. making it, your cash flow positive is like making a profit. Yeah, you're making a profit. Yeah, and then on top of that, you might be claiming um, depreciation benefits, which which further adds to your profit. Yeah, okay. Um, this one I've spoken to you about off air, but I wanted to sort of go through it with you again on air. So if you can, I'll, I'll tell. Obviously, we're going to touch on it. It's broker remuneration. So okay. during the week, there was a bit of. A bit of hum, a bit of humble about it, um, and from how I've learnt about it, it's something that gets repeated every couple of years by the government. That whatever government's in power at the time, mm-hmm. um, broker remuneration. So, can you explain what broker remuneration is, and then what sort of how brokers get paid currently, yeah, like as yourself, and what the different. Um, ideas are of what they could change that type of remuneration to yeah yeah so at the moment brokers are effectively a substitute for bank staff Hmm. so bank banks and lenders have two options well three options to um, acquire business one is by people walking into a branch if they've got a branch Um, one is by doing stuff online which most banks will do the other one is through brokers. So when a bank, a bank has to incur costs to acquire a customer, whether that's a physical branch, um, an internet platform, or a broker. So 60% of all home loans now come through brokers, mainly because people trust brokers, 
um, brokers are flexible, can meet out of hours, look after all the paperwork. Um, you know, getting a homeowner can be quite confusing. There's lots of lenders with lots of different products and that yeah. sort of thing. So at the moment, uh, uh, brokers get paid a commission by the bank. Most banks pay around the same amount. And about 60% of that commission the broker gets when the loan, within you know, one to five weeks of the loan settling, then what happens is the rest of that commission, a broker is paid monthly, and that's what's called a trial commission. Yep. Now, the problem with that, in my view, is that that implies that the broker is getting paid monthly for doing nothing, when in fact the broker is getting paid money that probably should have been paid to them up front. Now, the, tr- the part up front and trial commission model suits lenders because it enable it sort of better matches the cash flow because when they... Um, you know, it's not until the, the, the borrower starts paying interest mm. that the bank actually um, gets its money. So, um, you know, by paying trial commission, um, the bank's getting money from the client okay. um, over the course of the loan and they can pay, pay the broker. So during the Royal Commission, there was um, some talk that brokers did not act in clients' best interest, that they put people in the loan to get the best commissions, um, so the proposal was put forward by the Royal Commissioner that um, borrowers should pay the broker a fee. Now, that's not going to work because, um, most, like most people, uh, borrowers want to save money and if you can go to the branch and get it done for free um, or use a broker and have to pay for it, you will go to the branch and get it for free. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest critics of that uh, change were the smaller lenders who don't have branches. So at the moment, the current model is still going, which is where brokers get paid upfront commission and what is called a trial commission. Um, My personal view is that if regulators actually understood why people use brokers and um, the value-added brokers, they'd probably just leave leave it alone yeah it's not really broke so don't fix it there are issues you know there are issues that some brokers um may have put people into products that um uh, were for the benefit of the broker rather than for the client um with best interest duty just starting um that's probably gonna stop a lot of that which is good but um yeah it's just that's sort of how it works at the moment um, one of the other things come through during the week was from the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation State of the Nations Housing 2020 report. That's a, the worst title ever for a report, but um, they produced some five-year projections for housing supply and demand across Australia. This included major cities and regional areas. They see that new housing supply um, ahead of new demand will run ahead. So. Um, there won't be enough housing to, to keep up with demand in uh, over 2021 and 2022. Um, they're projecting that supply will struggle to meet the, the recovery in demand once the border restrictions are eased across like Australia in terms of bringing in international people. Um, and they also believe the, the supply-demand balance projected will fall around 50,000 in 2024 before showing signs of recovery. So it's a bit down the line that they're going to uh, expect the housing market to uh, catch up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so that group, they run the, um, the National Housing and Finance Investment Corporation. Um, yeah, they're trying to match, you know, I suppose they're trying to advise government and councils on um, what the sort of, what the outlook is for, for property. Um, and it's probably pretty hard to um, predict that far into the future on what demand is going to be and what supply is going to be. Because often you'll find that the demand, overall demand and supply might, you know, they might match, but the areas of demand don't match the areas of supply. Okay. A bit like unemployment. Like there's, there's stories in the press at the moment about, you know, we just talked about you know, unemployment might reach 1.7 million people, but there's industries such as fruit picking that are fr- throwing out produce because they can't get people to pick the fruit. So we've got massive unemployment, but we've got people that won't travel to go and work where the employment is. So, yeah. But part of the, the issue with um, supply and demand of property is that often the demand is not where the supply is and vice versa. So what this group's doing is, is basically trying to say, well, we think that um, um, there could be a supply-demand imbalance up to 2024 so that's yeah it's always it's always very hard to um it's always very hard to to match it but um yeah they'll do their best i think yeah okay um another thing came through from core logic during the week um that the national home value index increased a further one percent in december which is the third consecutive month on month rise um between april and september it's worth noting there was a two percent decline so it started recovering and then some. Yep. Um, the data showed an increase in demand for lifestyle properties, lower density housing options, especially in regional areas. So it sort of just um, doubles down on what a lot of people are expecting to continue through 2021, which is people are looking to move to regional places because they're sick of the city. Yeah, I um, think, <coughs> um, not necessarily sick of the city. I think people are probably thinking like, at the moment, Brisbane's locked down for a couple of days. Um, parts of Sydney are locked down, but Dubbo's not locked down. Launceston's not locked down. Broken Hill's not locked down. Mackay's not locked down. Mm. Um, and people are saying, well, you know, I, I, can, I can live there and work from there and I've got more room. Um, I, may, I may be in a, in a kick-ass house that's worth a couple of million dollars, but I don't have much um, super left over because my super's taken a hit um there's just a lot yeah i think people are starting to think more about lifestyle and yeah that if you need a bigger home uh, one of the other trends we're seeing is um uh, people like renovating because you know they're spending more time at home but um yeah it's the, the figure the figures are a bit all over the place at the moment but um that, as we said before, the main thing that's sort of driving everything is lack of supply mm. in places where, where the market's moving. Okay. Um, there was a survey by Core Data on behalf of Mortgage Choice that was released during the week as well. It found that across all stages of buying a home, applying for a loan, um, applying for a loan, sorry, is the aspect a lot of home buyers are most likely in need of support for. So of all the, um, of all the people asked in this study, said that applying for the loan is the most confusing aspect, which sort of highlights, I guess, the need for a broker. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are 
more reliant on just going to the bank that they're already with, assuming they have what's best for them, which is not usually the case. So um, part of the survey, it, it, it released the top five challenges that first home buyers identified in securing a home loan. So 47% um, have the most trouble understanding how the process works. 46% making sure they're getting the best deal is quite difficult. Making sure they qualify for the loan they want and the property they want. And uh, another big one that I thought was interesting, it accounted for, it accounted for less of the, the challenges, but understanding what, if any, government support they might qualify for. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting, I guess, that even with the amount of news has been sort of circulating about it when they release the projects, a lot of people still don't quite understand whether they are able to apply for um, incentives and schemes. Yeah. So I think the thing is for, you know, some of the trends we're seeing, one of the clear ones is that the amount of first-home buyers who are in the market. Now, a couple of reasons for that. One is a lot of people, you know, may have been planning to travel and now they're not because um, they can't. So they're thinking, well, you know, we're, we're, you know, there's, we're not probably going to be able to travel for a couple of years, so let's buy a property. There's a bit of a herd mentality at the moment that people, there's a bit of a fear of missing out. So a lot of people are in the market buying. Um, interest rates are really, really low. It's probably the cheapest it's ever been to borrow money. You know, you can get a, you can get a loan with a one that starts with a one, which is just mental. Um, and as you mentioned, there's lots of incentives. There's home builder grants. There's first home loan deposit scheme, new home and existing home. There's stamp duty exemptions. There's all manner of things. So, um, yeah, I think for first home buyers, they need someone to hold their hand. Um, a lot of people do go to brokers. A lot do go to their bank. As you mentioned, your bank may not be the best one for you because of your industry, your occupation, your, you know, the, the, you know, whether you're self-employed or whether you're on probation or whether you get bonuses or this sort of stuff. So a broker can give you the... If you're one of, one of the big four or one of their satellites, um, St George or ING and those sorts of people, beyond bank, your brokers are going to have access to them plus a lot of other options. So um, the other thing you've got to keep in mind at the moment is how long it's taking to get approved. Because if you're looking at property at the moment and you're not approved, um, you're just creating unnecessary stress for yourself. Yeah. So you need to get approved. If you're in a hurry, there's the broker's got access to banks that can do things very quick. Um, but if you're willing to take your time, you know, give it three, four weeks to get approved, you'll get yourself a very good loan and that'll look after you for a long time. Yeah, okay. Um, this one was interesting to me, but it, it didn't exactly surprise me with the findings they came out with. It's sort of just, I guess... Um, set in stone what I sort of um, had suspicions of anyway. A study by the financial comparison site Finder, they polled more than a thousand Australians. Um, They revealed that 61% of them are savers while the remaining are self-professed spenders. But the interesting stat I found was that the survey found that the majority of the baby boomers that um, answered the poll uh, were savers. That was 69% of those that answered the poll compared to just 51% of millennials that answered the survey said they were savers. Um, what Does that sort of confirm what you see 
with clients as well that like more baby boomer generation so the older people like in the 50s or the 40s are a little better with saving and a little smarter about it than people yeah, my I, age and a bit from, older from what i think it's a, a bit to do with um access to money and access to options from what i see you know we only see people who need to borrow money um generally you know there's no matter which generation there's um i suppose there's a group of people that have always struggled to save um you know they like spending money all the time um yeah i'm i can't really say whether um whether the figures are, are right or not. You know, when you ask people, do they save or do they not save, you're probably better off asking them how much money they've got in the bank because a lot of people say, oh, we don't spend, you know, we, we have clients who say initially, oh, you know, we don't, we don't spend much money, but when you look at their financials, they spend a lot of money. So mm. a lot of these surveys are based on perception rather than reality. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of the time, the way to make money is to not spend money. Yeah. Um, you know, every dollar you spend, you have to earn. You have to earn money, pay tax, have super deducted, and then you've got that dollar left over to spend money. So, you know, a dollar saved is more than a dollar saved is a dollar earned by a bit more than that because you know to to spend a dollar you've had to earn maybe a dollar forty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. Um. My state, my state bank, sorry, which is another of the smaller banks today. I, I had a question about this too. So you've got the big four, yep. which is NAB, uh, ANZ, Combank, and Westpac. Westpac. All the other banks, are they? Is that a category with a name, or is it just yeah, the smaller sort of, lenders? Yeah, or? they call they they sort of broken. From my understanding, broken into three. You've got the big four. You've got the second tier lenders, which are like St George, ING, mm. ME Bank. Guys, mm-hmm. and then you've got the smaller lenders. So you might have like, you know, small lender might be like a Newcastle permanent or a Bendy Dell. Well, they're probably more a second tier lender now. But you know, my state bank, mm-hmm. um, you know, Auswide, you know, right. some of some of those maybe some mutual funds or credit yeah. unions as well. Yeah, you know, they're, okay. they're what, what we call smaller lenders. Okay. Well, yeah. So one of the non-majors, my state bank, they did a survey again um, of about more than a thousand respondents. Um, about what their biggest financial resolutions or concerns were for 2021. Um, one in five of the respondents plan to pay off their mortgage faster. Mm-hmm. Um, 17% of those consumers resolved to tackle credit card and personal loan debts. Um, 48% are resolving to be better money managers. Mm-hmm. Interesting, three in 10 respondents pledged to start and maintain a budget. Um, Forty-four percent said they anticipated spending less on public transport as many businesses continue to work from home, and um, they're expecting that gyms will get less wallet share in twenty twenty-one. As four in ten Australians plan to cut the cost of going to a gym, like paying for a gym membership. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's just sort of um, something that you've spoken about that you thought it was it'd be a bit of a wake-up call in twenty twenty for COVID hitting that people are going to reassess and figure out what they really want to spend their money on. Yeah, because I, I just think that I'm, I'm still of the view that the pain, the financial pain is yet to come. Mm. Um, we've had the government spend hundreds of, not, not maybe not hundreds of billions, but tens of billions of dollars on welfare support through JobKeeper and JobSeeker. 
people have pulled 34 billion out of super yeah and a lot of that or not a lot but quite some of that has been done without um now not probably illegally um yeah you know with with those things now not happening um you know they're they're trimming back all the the stimulus and allowing people to pull money out of super Mm. i just think there could be you know people are going to probably have to knuckle down stop spending so much money um but yeah if you can if you can pay off some of your credit card debt um you know if you if you're buying things while you've still got credit card debt you probably need to just stop buying things for a couple of months and get that you know paying 20 percent interest is um is not helpful to anyone except the banks but um you know one in three pledging to start and maintain a budget that's interesting the other one is around um gyms i think a lot of places that rely on discretionary expenditure you know could struggle a little bit yeah okay um last one we're going to cover it's another (laughs) another um survey Mm -hmm. we had a bunch of surveys released during the week that i wanted to cover so um new research from mortgage choice found that only 46.5 percent of aussie homeowners that answered the survey were aware of their current home loan interest rate um, it revealed a consistent decline in borrower awareness and an increase in apathy towards mortgage interest rates. Um, so in 2016, 71% of the respondents knew the interest rate on their mortgage and that slowly um, decreased over the past four years. Um, the homeowners between 30 and 39 were the most likely not to know, closely followed by 50 to 59 uh, age group. I guess like... Is that, is that alarming to hear that stat that a lot of people don't know what their home loan rate is sitting at or is it is it something you're sort of familiar with? Look, I think it's, it probably looks about right. Um, quite often we'll talk to clients, you know, you know we'll, we'll get clients alone and it might be a year down the track where, or six months down the track, we'll be in contact and um, see how they're going, you know, on a regular basis and talk to them about, you know, what rate they're on and what sort of, you know, options we've got, especially, you know, we go back to the existing lender and ask for a discount. Mm. Um, when we, I think, you know, a lot of people get their statements online now and a lot of people's statements don't include the interest rate. So part of me thinks it might be deliberate by the lenders to n- not make it visible, the mm. interest rate, because, you know, if you see something, you know, if you're watching telly, and you know, an ad for a bank comes on that says they've got a you know, fixed interest rate that starts with one, you know, 1.99% or something. If you know that you're paying 3.4, well, then you're going to go, well, hang on a tick, I can do better. But if you're not sure what you're paying, it's, it's probably just more white noise. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, your mortgage commitment is one of the biggest expenses you'll ever have. So you need to be making sure that you're one you're getting the best deal and that you're across what you get in charge um otherwise you know it could just be flushing money down the toilet so the best way to do that i always say is to use a broker because a broker will make sure that you're always going to be um, looked after and if you're not we'll um you know we'll help you talk to your existing bank about getting a better deal or take you to another bank that will okay yeah that's fair is that something that I guess like how if you're with a uh, a bank 
Yep. And you want to check the interest rate as just if you weren't going through a broker, would you just call up? Yeah, well, normally it'd be on your statement. Mm. So normally it's on your statement. A lot of the times on the, um, you know, the transaction listing you can get on your internet banking, it doesn't actually tell you what your, your loan interest rate is. So we'll often get people send, I'll say to people, send us your screenshot and there's no mention of the interest rate on it. So you then have to, yeah, some banks I'm sure do it so you have to contact them for a statement yeah. because then they know if you've asked for a statement, you might be thinking of leaving and they can try and stop you yeah. or encourage you to stay, So um, which, which is quite interesting. Okay. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to mention. Um, the One of the things we saw during the week was about building approvals and about how they're uh, up for the fifth consecutive month at the highest level since December 1999, which is quite a lot. Mm. So that, that was, I thought, I was quite surprised. Um, they're up 40% since June. So right. I think that probably shows that things like home builder and those incentives are, um, are coming through. One of the interesting things I think people need to keep in mind is don't just buy, just don't build a place because the incentives are there. Make sure it matches your strategy. We talk about getting your strategy right and then working out what's the best thing to do. A um, couple of the trends coming through around um, from some of the stats that CoreLogic released for 2020 was that um, regional areas outperform the cities on capital growth, which um, you mentioned Simon Presley from um, Propertyology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sort of mentioned that. Um, was probably going to happen and it has and a lot of first home buyers are in the market the um the other one was just some of the market drivers for the year um still a lot of expats looking to buy property record low interest rates um economic recovery seems to be happening but whether some of these lockdowns that we seem to have you know especially when they lock things down on 24 hours notice and you know Someone at a caravan park who owns a caravan park in Eden's got a thousand people there one night, and the next day there's 40 people because everyone's bolted back to Victoria. So it's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out with new strains of COVID. There's vaccinations to be happening. But one of the other things which will impact um, this year is the change to stamp duty in New South Wales in March, the proposal to allow people to pay an annual amount rather than an upfront stamp duty. I think that could boost the market quite a bit. You know, we do numbers for clients all the time, especially when you don't if you if you're buying a property and you've already owned a property, you know, there's a lot of people who've who've owned property with other people, may have split up, had to sell it, you know, in second relationships and those sorts of things. Um, the stamp you know if you've if you've saved twenty grand, that might just cover your stamp duty at the moment. So I think you know that if that boosts people's borrowing capacity by twenty grand, because rather than spending five hundred plus stamp duty, they can now spend five twenty. Yeah. Um, it was one of the commentators suggested that that could really boost prices at the bottom end of the market. So um, you know, traditionally bought by people on lower incomes, who you know probably got some savings that it's only just going to cover the stamp duty. So I think that's going to be quite an interesting. Um, interesting thing coming coming through okay do you want to just plug the facebook and all that yeah so uh, money saver home loans on the website and on facebook search money saver home loans there's some great calculators on the website 
you can plug in numbers to see your borrowing capacity. And um, I was talking to a client this morning about you know the impact of paying an extra fifty bucks a week off your mortgage and how much money you can save. Um, you know, shave a couple of years off your loan term just by making a little bit of an extra repayment. So yeah, check that out. And if you need help, let us know, and we'll help you.